welcome to episode number five of Revenue on the Rocks. So today we're doing something a little bit different than normal. It's a little less tactical, a little more about our experience, but I think so really helpful for not just startups, but really anyone in the tech ecospace to understand the different stages of company growth or startup growth. And this is a topic that's really been top of mind for me, I think for Ben, for our company, because in some ways it feels like Nevada is growing up. It feels like we're hitting maybe some growing pain going from maybe child to teenager. And it's been kind of scary. Like it feels like when you first do a startup, you know, once you make it past those first points, maybe once you find product market fit and see some success, you're golden, you're good, everything's coasting. But I'd say that there have been some new challenges that come with it as well. And also just on our own, not just as a company, but also personally dealing with this new growth. So today we're going to be talking kind of about imposter syndrome, both on the individual level. So how we are dealing with imposter syndrome now that we no longer are just a new startup kid. And also at the company level, like how did we as a small startup, maybe punch above a weight class or try to look bigger than we were to get to where we are now. Before we get into this a little more deeper conversation, to balance it out, we're going to start with uh, Ben. What you drinking? I am picking away at the white wine still, as you can see. I think it's probably at this point pretty obvious that it's maybe not my drink of choice because the only time I have it is when we are recording uh, revenue on the rocks. And clearly I'm not picking away at the bottle the uh, other days of the week. So still going through this white wine, but I think pretty shortly we'll probably revert back to Bud Light here. I'm also drinking something I'm not the biggest fan of today. I'm traveling. That's why my background looks a little different. And I have a white claw, specifically peach. And I'm actually not huge into the seltzer movement. Like I was really big when they first came out, but I think the white claw bubbles like hurt my mouth a little bit. So I might be taking a few less sips today. We should also probably share that we are going to Destin, Florida in our, uh, for our team offsite next week. Natalie, we should probably take a look at, you know, what is Florida's go-to cocktail or is there some specific drink that we need to try and Destin when we're there? We should take some notes and then maybe the week after that's will be our signature drink. Now that we've covered our travel plans, I want to talk a little bit about why I'm nervous for today's episode, which usually I jump in with why I'm so excited about today's episode. And I am excited, but also a little nervous. It feels a little more vulnerable to talk about, you know, how we're feeling, how we're doing. And also understand the tech world is a little up and down right now. We're grateful that we've been seeing some growth and having some great quarters, but also want to acknowledge we've also been in times when things are flat. I've been a marketer where suddenly the whole economy changes. COVID completely changed my past company and kind of had to start all over. So why I'm grateful, for, I get constantly nervous, like one day it's just going to stop. We're going to run out or the luck's going to end. So hopefully that resonates with a few other startups and hopefully we could talk through how to work through that. So I covered a little bit how I'm feeling. Ben, wanted to start with how are you doing? How are you feeling at this point of growth in our company? Yeah, I would say, you know, overall, as strange as it is, Natalie, I feel like mostly you are probably a little bit more level-headed between the two of us. Although when it comes to growth on a week-to-week -week basis, I'm usually the one who's calming you down a little bit. If there's, you know, a Wednesday or Thursday and we are trending like to have two less leads that week than we did last week, you tend to uh, to get a little bit worried and can talk you off that ledge. But no, all joking aside, the way I feel right now is, like you mentioned, I'm extremely blessed and thankful to come off of two record-setting quarters here at Nevada. Really, really grateful to the team, the hard work that we've all put in. And I think one thing I'm learning, though, as we have this continued success and growth is when I first started at Nevada, I think I thought to myself, okay, we just need to get to 100 customers. Okay, I just need to get to a million in rev. 
okay, I just need to hire like two more AEs and then it will get better and then it will get easier and then it will get less stressful. And it's really actually been quite the opposite as we've grown from you know, just over 100K in revenue a year and a half ago when I started to multi-million in revenue now, it's not getting any less stressful. I think you sort of transition from, oh, I'm starting at a super small start. Let's just try to get off the ground and try to find some market fit. And that's obviously extremely stressful in and of itself, thinking back into it. But now it's, hey, congratulations, you have market fit. Now, how do you become the market leader? Hey, congratulations, you had a record-setting quarter in Q4. Can we do it again in Q1? Great, it happened again in Q1. Can we do it again in Q2 and Q3? And you're just like, oh my gosh, like this. It is not actually ever ending. So um, I'm sort of feeling in that whirlwind a little bit, but overall, obviously very, very excited and, and thankful to be where we're at today. I think what you said about the transition phase for a new start, it's like you're just building and everything's a win. And yes, it's super hard. The early days are stressful, but everything is positive, right? You're starting from zero. What I'm feeling extra stressed and scared about now is now there's things to lose. Now we have a little bit of a brand. Now people recognize us more. Now, you know, it's not just we get credit because like, oh, they're a new startup. So it's fine that they don't have this or that. Their expectations. I think that's what's getting me the most stressed right now, but especially because we sell to marketers and I love selling to marketers. I feel very grateful that I get to talk with customers and get to relate to them and understand. I love that chatting with prospects just feels like chatting with a friend. But at the same time, let's be honest, like I'll say it, marketers are judgy. We have high expectations because we know the game. We know what we're doing. So now it feels like while I love our ICP and I love selling to marketers, I'm also constantly scared if we take a step out of line or don't do something well, they'll call it out or they'll notice. So it's like choked a little there. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, I'm good. It just took like a really deep breath in. We're yeah, five minutes in, Natalie's um, crying already. Uh, no, maybe. But so it's it's been like, a, you know, obviously it's been overall really exciting. But also I've I've noticed a stress I didn't have when I first joined. Like I think especially because we didn't have marketing before I first joined. So it really was just like everything we're doing is trending up and positive. And I'm so thankful that the team is great at giving compliments. Like I've always admired that our team is fantastic at shout outs. But part of why I like being a marketer is I like sitting in the background. I like not having to always talk to prospects or customers. I like sometimes just working my magic behind the scenes. So all having to be a little more external facing. Part of being a marketer now, posting on LinkedIn, having a presence, having a brand, that's all been difficult. And sometimes I kind of miss the days when I could just like go and make HubSpot reports for two hours and be behind the scenes versus constantly having to like show my face and talking to other people. I think what you said around we now have something to lose. It's again, when you think about it and zoom out, like we're very, very grateful and blessed to have that be our, our situation. But I think something else that, especially if there's any early stage startup listeners right now, or any first time maybe go to market leaders at small startups, this will be, I think, really, really important for you all to hear and, and will probably resonate, is imposter syndrome never really goes away. At least for me, I was the first time ever leading a go-to-market team, leading a sales team. And looking back at it, it's like, cool, you were able to you know, take the team from 80, 100K to multi-million dollars in rev. That's cool. Now, are you able to take the team to 15 million in rev, 25 million in rev? The answer is, you know, yes, very confident, really excited for what that looks like. But the answer is also, well, I've never had to do that before. I've been able to take a team to multi-million dollars in revenue, but I've never done it to 15 or 25. So there is sort of that never-ending cycle of imposter syndrome. And 
there's so much still that I don't know that comes with growing a company to 15, 25 million and beyond. And so now it's really, really excited about where we're at, but still feeling a little bit of like, holy shit, I'm about to enter in yet again, deeper waters that I have zero experience in, which that's why I think we all work at a startup, right? At an early stage startup is you're excited about that challenge. You're excited and confident in yourself that you can do these things, but you're lying if you say it doesn't come with a little bit of stress too. So we talked about individually how we're feeling. Now, this is the more tactical side. I promise we get there. Ben, want to talk about how as a startup, right? If you're new, you want to seem bigger than you are. Maybe you're hearing on calls. People are, the objection is, oh, but you're brand new. Do I trust you? How as a company can you deal with imposter syndrome and maybe punch up against your weight class? Yeah, you know, looking back, there's so many objections that you can have in sales, but by far the most frustrating and annoying one to me was always the, wait, how, so, so how big is your team? How many customers do you have today? I get it. You know, I'm sure if I ever work at a large company again and I'm evaluating tools, that that might be one of my questions, but it can be a very difficult one to uh, to answer. There are two tips that I would recommend if you are building a go-to-market strategy and you're very new. Tip number one, go big whale hunting in a specific vertical because that will allow you to then sell with social proof to the other players in that space. And so what we would do is we would make the purchasing decision at a large, well-known logo or well-known company brand, very, very easy. Have them fall in love with the tool, have them utilize it, get a customer testimonial, and then guess what? Go on G2, Trust Radius, whatever it is, find the other 20 companies in their space and hit them up. Hey, Natalie, we work with XYZ. They're using Nevada to do this. I thought you might find it interesting. And watch how all of these other companies in their space come in and they say, hey, I saw your tool on XYZ's website. We want that too. Or if they have it, we need that too. Something I've learned about marketers, and I don't mean this in an offensive way, is there is insane FOMO with you all. It's you, you don't want to miss the boat. You don't want to be the one company that doesn't have the one thing that's hot right now. And, and we really, really capitalized on that. So we basically identified what are some verticals that we know we are a really strong fit in. Let's go capture a couple huge logos there make it really easy for them to buy Nevada, have them fall in love with it, and then attack the other players in their space. And that was uh, tremendously valuable and helpful. That's tip number one. Tip number two, find out the types of softwares that the people you sell to use and go get those logos. We're mostly a marketing platform, marketing software. We typically work with marketers. That is our biggest ICP. So guess what we did? We made like a dream list of the top 10 marketing software and we went out and said, we want to work with all these companies and partners so that when we're selling to marketers on a call, we have social proof that resonates with them. We can go see all of the different companies that they're probably already using internally. And then they can say, oh, wow, like, we, yeah, I use that tool. We use that tool too. Wow. You guys, you, you work with them. It's that social proof that's really personalized to them that was really effective. So those are two tips I would recommend. So first off, I want to disagree with you about the marketing FOMO. Like I was a little not insulted, but felt it a little bit for my marketers, but it's 100% right. Like, if I have it all the time. I see a cool tool. I'll never have budget for it. It might not even make sense for me. Like, I want that. Everyone's talking about it. So, sorry, marketers. It, at least I, I think it's true. As far as your second tip around, you know, getting companies that your customers use, don't just try to sell to them, but try to co-market with them. And this sounds a lot easier said than done because partnerships are hard. Also, I think any SaaS company knows it feels like everyone under the sun is trying to do partnerships right now. 
So you're constantly getting requests around, let's be on each other's podcasts or blogs or all these things. I'd say to start, if you do have a reoccurring podcast, webinar, something you can invite someone to, use it as a place to build the relationship. Like, don't try to start selling them. Make it super easy for them. Make it a good experience because then you're showing them, hey, we're easy to work with. So that's start number one. Then if you do want to do more co-partnership with them, co-marketing, put in the legwork. Like, let's just be honest. You are the smaller fish in the situation. So maybe go find some data that shows, hey, all of our customers integrate together or this percent of our customers. Or look, we have these similar co-customers. Wouldn't it be great if we could show some, do something for them? Like, don't just talk to a big company and be like, wouldn't it be great for us to partner together? Come prepared with research, reasons. Be prepared to do most of the work yourself. And it should be treated, like, I think partnerships should almost be treated like ABM campaigns. Like, you should be throwing the kitchen sink trying to work with some of these companies if they're on your list. I did want to sort of preface this conversation too with, I do think there's a little bit of a fine line that you have to be careful of. So imposter syndrome, trying to punch above your weight class is something that every startup feels. But you also want to be careful to maybe not be that company who just launched their product, just came out of Y Combinator a few weeks ago, a month ago. And now all of a sudden you're trying to make a big splash and you know, you're posting all of these SaaS best practices or basically trying to reinvent the wheel or, or trying to make such a big splash that, you know, it, it can be a little bit of a turnoff. If, if you pull up LinkedIn and you see a company like, you know, Nevada just graduated Y Combinator a month ago, and now they're coming out, you know, every other day with trying to tell Google how to run their sales cycle. Like that, that's, that's also not really going to resonate. It's okay to be small. Uh, obviously, we're all trying to punch above our weight class a little bit, but I would also say you don't necessarily want to be that startup that is trying so hard to be bigger than, than, than obviously you are because that can be a little bit of a turnoff just as much as a, a big concern that a company is very small. Yeah, I think similar to that, like when I say co-partner, don't go after Salesforce and be like, hey, come work with us. Like be realistic. I think that's similar to your messaging, right? Like, obviously, you want to put yourself out there, become a thought leader, post interesting things. But also, like, it is it is okay to be like, this is what I've learned as a startup, or this is the, the things that we're growing, like this whole podcast, we're talking about what we've learned. I think there's a degree that, yes, you want to appear bigger than you are, but you can appear fake. And I think it also should be expressed in your sales cycle as well. Every single VC, every single investor, every single founder is going to try to figure out how quickly can we move up market? How quickly can I close an enterprise deal? These things are all great. And those are great goals. But like the way you sell to an enterprise company when you are a year in versus 15 years in is going to be different. And that's okay. It's okay if you give out crazy discounts. It's okay if you do things that aren't super scalable early on. Curious, Ben, how you deal with it? Like, what do you do when you're having those moments of anxiety or imposter syndrome? I was going to make a really bad drinking joke because it's revenue on the rocks, but I'm just kidding. That's not at all my outlet. I think the way that I deal with imposter syndrome is first and foremost, again, recognize that it is never going away and being somewhat comfortable with it. And there also has to be a level of confidence in what you have already done. So I just talked about how I've never led a sales team to 15 million and beyond. But I can kind of fall back on some of the things that we've already done to get us to this point that I think I can continue to implement. And ultimately, it's a matter of confidence you have to have in yourself and also, I think, in your team as well. You know, working very closely with the product team and the marketing team, knowing that, you know, our goals are astronomical goals here at Novatic. They don't fall all on my shoulders. Even though it feels like it does at time, it doesn't. It's not all on me. It's on all of us. And we've proven 
that we can do this. And I think having confidence in yourself and also what you and the team have already done is, is really all you need there. And don't get in your head too much about it. That's the other thing. Just don't think too much about it because it could drive you crazy. I love your point around think back to what your team have already done. And I'd add to that, like, don't just think about the goals you've accomplished. Like, think about how you worked through something or solved a problem. As an early stage startup and obviously in sales, you know, your whole job is hitting a goal. But it's very tempting, as Ben said, like every week I measure myself on the number of leads that come in. When I should be looking at, you know, what new campaigns did I launch? What process did I implement? What strategies did I think of? So if I'm feeling extra imposter syndrome what I do is I just try to think back not to my accomplishments or, or things that didn't go well and just like remind myself like, okay, I got hired for X, Y, and Z reasons. Obviously, if I do those things, hopefully there will be results, but I am not, I am not my results. And I think that took a while to learn. Natalie, quick question for you. You know, as we continue to grow at Nevada and get bigger and bigger, we're still goal is to to emphasize our brand and still punch above our weight class, you know, as much as we can or need be. So what are some strategies or, or things you are thinking about as we continue to go down this path? I think, I mean, still reusing some of the strategies we've been talking about. So co-partnerships, focusing on that. But now that we have a little more resources, you know, we've, I think like you spend so much time as, at least for a go-to-market lead, that that first initial phase of startup, so much of it is on product market fit. I'm not saying we're like 100% there, not saying we have everything figured out, but I feel comfortable enough where I don't have to dedicate as much of my time for that high-level strategy, ICP talks, figuring out what channels work, which don't. Like, I feel like I've gotten a lot of the marketing foundation set, which again, is luxury. I'm very happy about it. Now it's really optimization. How can we, how can we do the next notch? So things like this podcast, like at the beginning, I didn't have time to do a podcast. I don't even know what we would have talked about at the beginning of Nevada. Once you've completed sort of those first stages as a startup, this is the time you can start doing more creative stuff, more brand stuff, more thought leadership pieces. And I know those all sound very fluffy, but I think that's what takes you to that next level. So now we are not just, oh, Nevada's known, but how do we make sure we're known by every marketer, which is maybe, oh, B2B SaaS marketer. Maybe that's a, a big ask, but I think it is stuff that stands out that helps you get there. So I'd say if you feel very confident, if you feel like you're starting to have product market fit, if you feel like you got some of the foundations in place, obviously everything can be tweaked, but this is when you should go out and say, okay, now how do we stand out? And I think from a sales perspective, you should be using your growth to further your growth, especially at Nevada or if you're a small startup that had to deal with the bullshit of, wait, how big are you? And those types of questions, you know, a year and a year and a half ago, you know, now the conversation should be, Look what we've done. This is how many people we've we partnered with. You know, this is how many of those companies are publicly traded, you know, graduated by comedy. Like use your strong growth as a lever in the sales process and as a promotion versus something that maybe was an objection in the past. And not just at the company level. Curious, Ben, like as we get new teammates, as they might experience a positive syndrome, it's we're building out teams ourselves. One, curious how you're dealing with it as being a leader. Because I, I know like I get a lot of imposter syndrome around telling someone else to do. And then how do you spot it in your employees and try to help them if they're experiencing something like that? One thing I always try to do constantly is remind our reps to zoom out and look at what we've done and realize like some of the crazy growth that we have experienced. And this is something that every company should be doing. And also constantly reminding them, like, what is our end goal uh, from a company perspective? How close are we to that? You know, what percentile are we in in growth? How are we doing? 
because ultimately people join early stage startups to get experience, wear a bunch of different hats, and also have the opportunity to be a very early hire at hopefully a really progressive and um, strong growth startup. And that is one of the most motivating levers that you have at a startup. So as a leader at a startup company that is having a lot of success, constantly remind your team of that. Hey, we just came off of two record-setting quarters. Guess what? The worst thing we could do is not take a second to celebrate that. Not take a second to look at some graphs and some charts and some slides around the growth that we have experienced and how we're trending towards our goals. Because guess what? That kind of stuff gets people really, really amped up, excited, passionate, um, and really promotes that, that strong work ethic and is the fuel to keep going. So whenever you're feeling the imposter syndrome or the burnout, take a step back look what we've already accomplished and get excited about what we have uh, coming down the pipe as well. As leadership, I think sometimes we forget that this stuff isn't obvious. Like sometimes we talk about this leadership meetings or if you're going to board meetings, you see these high level goals or pictures, but we forget for the average employee, they don't know these things. They don't necessarily know the end goal or where we're doing or if we've hit a huge milestone. So I do think it is really important to zoom out, celebrate it. But also on the flip side, like I mentioned earlier, don't just... Also call out like why you got to those goals and milestones. Don't just say, we're great. We hit this number. It's because we're awesome. Like specifically call it learnings. This is one thing I love that we do. We, every quarter we talk about learnings that we had from that quarter. What went well and what didn't go well. I think that's really important because again, it's reminding people that we're rewarding them on their thought process, on their strategies, on their goals, on our constant iteration, not just the number. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that. And then you know, the other thing I, I would recommend um, for the imposter syndrome slash burnout is, especially from a leader's perspective, I've talked about this in other podcasts, but when things don't go well, when goals aren't hit, aren't met, things, you know, first and foremost, you should be falling on that sword as a leader. You should be looking in the mirror first. We've already talked about this. On the flip side, when things go really freaking well, get out of the way and 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 prop up your team. Give them an opportunity to present at team meetings, share some key learnings, share our revenue goals, get out of the way and allow them to, to have all of the credit. And, and that's going to make them feel really excited, motivated and rewarded for the hard work that they did. Yeah, I think that's very important. Like, it's so hard. I think especially as early stage startup, your whole value is execution. Like you are judged at how much you can work and how much you can get done and all that. So sometimes taking a step back and letting your employees do things, it goes against what you previously told yourself the work, your value was, was that hard work. Hopefully it should be more exciting seeing them succeed than a success you've had yourself. You know, what's interesting, something I've noticed about startups, Natalie, is I tell people all, this, all the time, like startups are not for the faint of heart. Like you really have got to want to work at a startup because it will be the hardest that you've ever in your life. However, at least in my network, all of my friends, people I talk to, the burnout's not happening at startups. Because burnout doesn't necessarily always occur because of how hard you're working or all the hard work you're doing. I think burnout often happens when you don't have that sense of value. And that is something that is never lacking at a startup. Because every single day, every call that you are on, every meeting you are in is really impactful to the company's growth, the brand, or the revenue. And so when people have a sense of value, not just like in work, but in life in general, they're, they're going to work harder. They're going to be excited about their day-to-day. -day. So even though startups are an absolute grind, it's very different than being an IC at a 50,000 person company where like truly it's a very selfish work experience. You just care about yourself, your quota, your number. 
I got to do the things that are going to, going to help me personally, but at a startup, it's all about the team, the brand, the growth. Um, and that really helps with buy-in and, and does eliminate a lot of that burnout feeling, even if you are working. I will push back a little bit because I've experienced burnout at places where I've seen a lot of value. I do get your point where if you're doing work that you think you're moving forward and that you understand why you're doing it, I think that is huge. That's I always say I'm really annoying and Ben knows this because I need to know the why behind anything I do. So if you feel like you're part of that decision, you understand it, you agree. I think it's less likely to feel burnout. However, I think sometimes you can still love what you're doing and be very passionate. And then just, I, I know for myself, like I have, there's only a certain amount of things I can handle in one week, day, month, whatever. Like there are only so many things that can occupy my brain. And if I tip one too many over, that is when any new idea that comes in, any creative space, all that's turned out because I'm like, I have too many things going on. I can't even think about being strategic or creative. So I, I see your point, but think there is, I think part of imposter syndrome often comes when you are feeling burnt out because you don't feel like you're performing at your best. Well, that was, that was my last soapbox. Should <laughs> imposter syndrome and burnout. Then any other last final thoughts or have we covered it all? I think that's it. I think uh, all for me, really enjoyed this. And uh, looking forward to uh, to having a drink in Destin. Yeah. No, see you soon. And for listeners, we'll see you soon, too, in two weeks. I have been teasing this for weeks, but we may actually have a guest. Wait and see. Bye, everyone. <laughs>